0: This episode has been made possible by the creative's garage, the house of awesome. Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mochiro. And on today's episode, we welcome J.E. Sibiokumu with his debut short story, belonging
1: if the robbery involving the haywoods had been an inside job the common analysis in such circumstances then the two prime suspects lacked motives both were insiders as they lived on the haywood compound in the secured domestic servants quarters these comprised two separate rooms each with space enough to fit a bed, a gas cooker and a few other personal belongings, stacked up to make movement possible. As for amenities, the occupants shared a long drop toilet as well as a space to have a cold shower. In the enclosed yard, there was a concrete sink for washing laundry by hand. In one of the rooms lived Hannah, the house help, That was the politically correct term, which had replaced house-servant and house-maid. Hannah was a family institution, having been with the Haywards from two years after they got married, long enough to have played a significant part in raising their son and two daughters, now adults and parents themselves. Hannah had grown up children of her own, but her husband had died. In the other room lived Dixon, the gardener, a young man of 23 who had taken over the job from his own father after his retirement. There were two regular outsiders. One was Mudoni, the vegetable lady, or Mamamboga, who came by once a week to offer a choice of cabbages, onions, tomatoes, and especially Sukumawiki the kale that did indeed push the week along when money was tight. She carried her offerings in a heavy bundle strapped to her forehead and supported on her back. The other was Enoch, the night watchman. He had been the mainstay on the compound for the last four years, only relieved during weekends every fortnight. Should the need arise, he could call for unarmed reinforcement from his firm by pressing one of two panic buttons strategically positioned at opposite corners of the main house, after which a support vehicle was guaranteed to arrive within minutes. The Haywards had two buttons inside the house as well. Security was an issue. The Haywoods lived in Westlands, described alongside Mithega, Caron, Langata, and Lavington as one of Nairobi's earliest upmarket and multiracial leafy suburbs. Westlands rarely drew attention to itself. Every once in a while, an incident worthy of public interest did occur there. Sometimes there was agitation within deep sea, the slum or informal settlement on its periphery. Either accident or arson would set its highly flammable dwellings and kiosks ablaze, with vermilion flames visible from a distance and thick smoke billowing up to the sky. But deep sea had the capacity to rebuild itself within months Sometimes there was a concerted push to get rid of chocoraz who were ruining the look of the area through their unkemptness, their glue-sniffing, and their begging. Sometimes there would be gridlocked traffic jams because major arteries had been sealed off to accommodate the arrival or departure of a visiting head of state. The name Westlands could bring back disturbing memories of Professor Wangari Madai's fight to save the Karura Forest, also on its periphery. Or it could call to mind Westgate, Kenya's own 9-11-style experience, when, in September 2013, a late-morning raid on a shopping mall of that name had left more than 60 people dead. Richard and Felicity Haywood were Kenya cowboys, or KC's, that is to say Kenyans of mainly British origin. They still worked as partners in their own accounting firm in central Westlands and had a reputation for philanthropy. They made it clear to every guard who was posted to them that they were against the idea of their home being some sort of no-entry military zone. Everyone was welcome, they insisted, without protracted interrogation. That was how human beings were meant to live, they believed. And that was why they did not consider the added expense of taking on a day guard. In the daytime, their main metal gate remained open. On the night in question, a Wednesday, Enoch was on duty. The Haywards were always reassured by his trusty presence. Enoch, a married man in his late thirties, whose family lived away from him in a village in Ukambani, rented a tiny mud-walled room in deep sea. He would walk to work every evening to begin around six. It took him about half an hour to get to the Haywoods. For the past year or so, a bypass under construction had cut through Deep Sea, branching off from the Limuru Road to emerge into Ring Road Westlands, there from colonial days, which was now to be expanded into a dual carriageway. Just past the Shiv Temple, Enoch would turn right into Eldama Ravine Road, signposted ahead of him by a city council painter who had not known how to spell ravine properly. He would go past the Mystique restaurant, famous for its coroga, or self-cooking option for patrons. On either side of him, would be the homes of well-to-do local and expatriate Africans, Asians and Europeans. It had not always been thus, for in pre-Independence times, Westlands had been a segregated, whites-only section of Nairobi. The Haywards lived a short distance from the Westwood Hotel and the About Time restaurant, both toward the end of the road. Enoch always carried his uniform with him and changed in the DSQ, or Domestic Servants' Quarters, shower room. Without it, he held no menace, being of very slight build, but once he put it on, he looked very much the part. At around 7.30, Enoch registered headlights at the gate, he let himself out through a side opening. The car was a white four-wheel drive. Two men were sitting in front. Habari, can I assist you? Enoch asked. Yes, we have come to see Mr. and Mrs. Haywood, the driver explained. He spoke in a deep baritone. You are from where? You have not been here before. Enoch challenged. "'Yes, we have,' the driver answered. "'You were not here. "'Mr. Haywood used to be our teacher. "'We have come to take him and Mama out for dinner. "'Mr. Juma is my name, and this is Mr. Kizito. "'You can tell them that.' Kizito leaned over to be more visible, smiled at Enoch and cupped his hands together as if in supplication, a sign of humble greeting. That's okay, sir, Enoch accepted. He went back to open the whole gate. Normally, he would have thought twice about letting the two men in without first going to seek confirmation, because the various races usually kept to themselves when it came to socialising. But... The Haywards were different. All sorts of people came to visit them regularly. And from the way Juma spoke English, it was evident that he was a very high-class man, and he had identified himself and his companion very openly. Enoch let the car drive in and closed the gate after it. The car continued along the cobblestones then made several turns to face the gate before stopping. The two men got out. They were dressed in dark suits and red and blue ties. Juma was the much taller of the two. He looked like a bouncer. Kizito was not as huge. Enoch walked up to the car. You know the way? Ndiyo, Juma declared. Up to this point, Kizito had said nothing. Sawa, Enoch said, and walked back to his shelter beside the main gate. Juma and Kizito were glad that things were going so well. There was an alternative plan if the guard behaved differently. Juma went ahead of Kizito. The Haywoods' house was built on one acre of land whose lower boundary was marked by the Madare River, once notable for its clear waters but nowadays more for the plastic containers that bobbed along it. The Haywoods' property was on an incline. The DSQ and garage were at the driveway level but to get to the Haywoods' house and its surrounding garden Juma and Kizito had to walk down a series of steps introduced by a wooden barrier. Once they had gone past it, Caesar, a black Labrador and one of the household pets, ran up to them. He let out a growl, followed by some squeaky barks, then came up to smell them and leap at their trousers. Juma kicked Caesar out of the way and the dog yelped. The two men walked confidently to the front door, which was behind a padlocked grill. Juma rang the bell. Once only. About half a minute later, a key turned. Haywood opened the door and found himself face to face with two unfamiliar men. The taller one was pointing a handgun at him. Juma sized him up. Haywood looked taller than he actually was because he stood so upright. He had the physique of a young man and only his greying hair and beard revealed his age. Mr. Richard Haywood, I presume, Juma said knowingly. Open! Heywood did as he was told. Taking another key, he first opened the padlock, then the security grill, and stepped back diffidently to let the two men in. Give me the keys, Juma ordered. He locked up and kept the keys. Felicity Hayward showed surprise when her husband came in with two unfamiliar African men. She was sitting on a scarlet-red sofa reading a novel, but she stood up immediately, as if to acknowledge the entry of superiors. Bach's cello suites, interpreted by Casals, were playing soothingly but unobtrusively from a CD. Felicity had auburn hair was tied in a bun and she was wearing dark-rimmed spectacles dido the cat was a silent onlooker lying in a basket on a drinks cabinet good evening mrs Haywood, juma said i have a gun the weapon was not visible in its belt holster covered by his coat and my friend has one, too. Don't do anything stupid. Sasa. hand over your cell phones. Hayward's mobile was in his pocket. His wife's was in her handbag on a side table. Juma gave them to Kizito, who switched them off before placing them in the side pocket of his suit. ''May we sit down, madam?'' Kizito asked, speaking for the first time. ''Yes, do sit down.'' Felicity was trying hard to hide her fear, calling to mind what she had often heard, that in these situations it was best to keep the other people talking and get them to relax. ''Thank you,'' said Kizito. Do join us. Soon they were all seated, Richard and Felicity beside each other on the sofa and the two strangers in armchairs opposite them. Very good. They call me Juma and this is Kizito. And you, Mr. and Mrs. Haywood, are fellow Kenyans interjected Kizito. That makes me very happy. So rest assured, we will not hurt you, unless, of course, you make us. His voice was higher pitched than Juma's, and he spoke very deliberately, like a politician addressing gullible Wananchi. When did you become Kenyans? he asked. We were born here, Heywood responded, my wife and I, a third generation.
0: Ah,
1: the children of our colonial masters, Kizito said, in a manner of speaking. And where did you go to school? The Prince of Wales, now Nairobi school, Haywood answered. What a privilege, Kisito said. But our past is past. We are now in the same boat, except that those whose grandfathers served the wishes of your forebears have now taken over. But they are worse than the white man. Now it is the turn of the sons and daughters of home guards to oppress the sons and daughters of freedom fighters. We must not forget our history. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Haywood? I've no great interest in politics. Oh, but you must, you must. Everything in life is political. Kizito rejoined. Kizito, Juma cut in. That's enough. Watcha Don't worry, Kizito counted. There's nothing wrong with getting to know each other a little better. Juma looked quickly at his watch. Mrs. Haywood, Felicity, if I may, Kizito went on. You haven't said a word. Where did you go to school? My parents were f- farmers, Felicity Prophet. So I first went to the hill school, Eldoret, and then I bought it at Kenya High. Ah, the boma, the enclosure for beautiful females like yourself. What a privilege for you too, Felicity, Kizito said. Unlike you, the two of us went to maize and bean schools. But I hope that our roots do not betray us. No, uh, not at all, Felicity quickly replied. You both speak very good English. Count me out, Juma protested. I am a secondary school dropout. Do you speak Kiswahili? Kizito asked. Not as well as we should, Hayward said. We were never taught it at school. What about you? Kizito asked Felicity. Kidogo, she answered. Kidogo? A little is not enough, Kizito scolded. Look at the effort I have made to try to master your language. I have a degree in English literature. But it has done nothing to help me to find a job, or at least a proper job, which could allow me to live like you in a house like yours one day. So, much against my will in order to survive, I have ended up in your living room. Anyway, like I said, there's nothing wrong with getting to know each other a bit. It would be nice to have a cup of tea and continue chatting. In fact, I would love to look through some of the books in your wonderful library. Enough! Juma snapped. Sour, Kizito conceded. Haywood was trying his best to put on a brave face, but every cell in his body was filled with fright. He was trembling slightly. He looked across to his wife, who had cupped her hands in front of her mouth and was holding back tears. He had never had to act courageous in front of her before. "'Take what you want, but please don't hurt us,' Felicity entreated. "'I am sure it won't come to that,' Kizito reassured her. You can trust me. He walked up to her and kissed the palm of her hand. Kizito, stop fooling around. There is no time to waste. For all their bravado, Juma and Kizito seemed equally agitated. Kizito kept pacing around, picking up ornaments and then putting them down again, and Juma kept glancing at his watch. Husband and wife stood up. It was at this point that Felicity made an unexpected request, all the more so because she made it in Kiswahili. Wacheni petezetu za harusi, Tafadali, she said. How interesting, Kizito remarked. That someone who can say, leave us our wedding rings, please, in such perfect Kiswahili, professes to speak the language only kidogo? Is this a case of false humility? I get by, Felicity replied. Ah, the English love of understatement, Kizito said. ''No, uh, quite seriously,'' Felicity said, making another attempt to ease the tension. ''My husband and I appreciate that, however regrettable your intrusion, this whole matter could take on quite a different tone, were it not for your understanding. We thank you for promising not to hurt us. Take what you want.'' But just leave us our wedding rings. That's all I ask. Kizito smiled and said nothing. These Wazungus are very funny people, Juma noted. Everything is so lavi davy to them. Sorry, though, we will take the rings. He glanced at his watch again. Haywood reached across to help his wife remove her ring. Then he removed his own and meekly gave both to Juma. Sasa, any money in cash? And bring your ATM cards. Write down the PIN numbers, Juma instructed. Haywood handed over his wallet and Felicity her purse. Haywood wrote down his own PIN number and passed the piece of paper and ballpoint pen he had used to his wife. The correct information, Juma said. Remember, any nyoko nyoko, and I'll cut off this man's penis and make him smoke it like a cigar. Do you understand? Yes, Haywood replied. We understand. Please don't hurt us. Felicity said. No, Juma said. With you, Mrs Haywood, we can have some fun together. Kizito held up the keys and motioned everyone out. He took out his gun but concealed it under his coat. They went past Dido the cat, now walking about but still in a separate world. Upon seeing his owners, Caesar the dog stood up and wagged his tail as he accompanied them to the car. Heywood thought he saw a curtain being pulled inside Dixon's room, which had some lights on. But that may have been wishful thinking. Hannah's lights were already out. As they got into the back of the car... The thought entered both Hayward's and Felicity's minds that it may have been stolen and the licence plate changed to read KAZ 581N. Enoch was still beside the gate. At ten o'clock, his supervisor would come for a routine check and Enoch would begin hourly walkabouts at midnight, carrying his baton, and shining his flashlight. His beat ended at five every morning. As he opened the gate for the white car to exit he was not at all suspicious. The two men had not stayed very long and there they were taking out their teacher and his wife for dinner as they had explained. Asante. Kizito said through the side window closest to the guard. Sour, sour, Enoch, Haywood added reassuringly. Enoch saluted them as the car drove out. At around ten to eight, there was still a lot of traffic on the roads. They did not head, as the Haywards might have thought, to deep sea. Instead, Juma turned right on Eldama Ravine Road, left past the bank building onto the lower end of Peponi Road, then drove straight ahead. The car headed past the Westgate shopping mall, repaired and fortified since the terror attack. A confusion of thoughts invaded the Haywoods. Foremost among them, were they going to come out of all this alive? Felicity wondered whether she would ever see her grandchildren again. Then she wondered whether she had turned off the oven. Hayward wondered what he could do proactively in this situation. As a mental diversion, each of them resorted to identifying landmarks along the way, reminiscent of the observation game they had played with their children on their way to school or on safaris. After a couple of minutes of driving, they came to the Sarit Centre. The car turned right at an intersection and then left on Waiyaki Way, heading in the direction of downtown Nairobi, past what was once the landmark Westlands Roundabout, now sealed off as part of supposed improvements in traffic flow. A bit farther down, Juma took a slip road and made a U-turn that put him back on the highway, but going in the opposite direction, toward Naivasha, the nearest sizable town. Where are you going? Felicity asked. You talk too much, woman, Juma snapped. Yamaza! Don't speak to my wife like that. Don't you talk to me like that, Juma shot back, or you will see. Silence reigned from that point onward, at least for the Haywoods. Juma and Kizito continued to have animated exchanges in the English and Kiswahili hybrid known as Sheng. The Haywoods couldn't follow everything, but they registered disagreement on what to do next. The farther along they went, the more Juma drove like a maniac. Felicity thought that she was going to vomit. Juma turned left on a bypass to take the escarpment road. With no streetlights, it became impossible for Haywood and Felicity to get their bearings. Eventually, the car stopped in forested terrain. Time to get out and stretch, Juma said. It was his turn to pull out his gun. And then for the blindfolds and then into the boot for Buana Haywood, Kizito said, just like in the movies. Felicity will remain in the back seat with me. Heywood felt his powerlessness even more keenly. The Heywoods were blindfolded with colourful kanga cut-offs. This was particularly uncomfortable for Felicity because of the added pressure of her spectacles. She was made to lie across the back seat, face down. Heywood was made to get into the boot face down. Juma started the car. They drove at breakneck speed and stopped, then drove at breakneck speed again and stopped for what must have been an hour or more. Juma and Kizito lit up a marijuana joint, after which their exchanges became even more animated and contentious. Felicity had only tried a joint once at her high school. She found the smell absolutely nauseating and wished to God that it would go away. Felicity's prayer was answered a bit later. The car came to a halt. Someone got out and walked away, followed by an interlude of silence. After what seemed like an eternity, the person returned to the car. Juma and Kizito talked to each other before one of them walked away once more. How strange, Felicity thought, that she and Richard were going through an experience that was visited upon a significant number of African Kenyans every day, but which... Mzungus like her would take as a sign to leave the country immediately. Hayward wondered what they should do if they survived the ordeal to have Juma and Kizito apprehended. He could go to the Spring Valley police station and have the incident recorded and a report issued to them for a small bribe. But he knew that nothing much would happen after that. Both Haywood and Felicity were trying to find an explanation for the sudden lull in events. Actually, Juma had driven the car back toward Nairobi into the Westlands area. It was Kizito who had first walked off to make a maximum withdrawal from an ATM machine beside Sky Park Plaza on Waiyaki Way. Then he returned a while later to make a second maximum withdrawal five minutes after midnight, it being a brand new day. Juma and Kizito took out 400,000 shillings at the ATMs. That was close to 4,000 American dollars. Not a bad outing. But it had to be worthwhile for them. Robbery with violence was a serious crime in Kenya. If found guilty of it, Juma and Kizito could spend decades in prison. Unless, of course, the police pumped bullets into them in an ambush long before any trial. Once Kizito was back in the car for the second time, Juma drove past the rear of the Sarit Centre and turned left onto School Lane. He stopped the car some distance along a darkened patch just short of Westland's primary school. Juma opened a side door and the boot to let Felicity and Haywood out. He removed their blindfolds. Okay, good people, it's time for us to say goodbye. See, you are fellow Kenyans, Kizito stated. You know how to get back home from here, don't you? Yes, we do, Haywood answered, although he couldn't quite tell where they were. Ahead is school lane, which, as good citizens, you must take every time you go to vote, Kizito said. Mama Felicity, Juma began, in an effort to prove that he too was capable of charm. I don't want to be remembered as the bad one. Yeah. Yeah he reached into his trouser pocket and presented Felicity with the two rings he had taken earlier. So off you go, he commanded. Hayward and Felicity started walking, hand in hand. They turned left to head back to Karuna Road. It would take them half an hour at most to get back home. Quahirini! Quahirini! Juma and Kizito called out, waving to the couple as they drove past them. The Haywoods said nothing in reply. They were speechless. They saw the car turn right to continue along school lane. It let out two hoots of farewell,
0: then, disappeared. Belonging was read and written by J.E. Sibio Sibyokumu is a published playwright, poet and columnist. He has also had success as a French language teacher, broadcaster and actor. Sibyokumu has played many leading roles on stage and appeared in The Constant Gardener, Shake Hands with the Devil and The First Grader, among other films. He narrated the audiobook of Peter Kimani's Dance of the Jacaranda. Belonging is Sibiokumu's first short story and is one of the stories in the recently launched anthology Nairobi Noir that is edited by Peter Kimani and published by Akashic Books. I'd like to thank Akashic Books for giving us the permission to produce this story. And I'm happy to announce that we shall be featuring a few more stories from Nairobi Noir in our upcoming episodes. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. You can follow us here on SoundCloud and also on Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle is at Nipe underscore Story. And our email address is producer at fingerpiano.co.ke if you'd like to submit a short story for consideration. Thank you for listening. Nipe Story is a Finger Piano production.